Welcome to the Life After Life podcast, where we explore our soul's physical and non-physical journey. I'm Majana. Let's discuss angels, guides, and loved ones from the other side. Hello, hello, hello. How is everybody? Well, as usual, we have some kind of cool stuff to talk about, which, of course, is inspired from questions and sessions that come up. So we have an understanding that our soul has come into the body to experience lessons and just experience, period. We have a physicality so we can touch and smell and see, and it's totally different sensations. So we plan this incarnation before we actually come into our bodies. Do we also plan exactly when and how we're going to die? Well, we've talked about this off and on through this whole podcast, right? Because death is pretty much intermixed here. But one thing that is very, very evident is we plan our deaths and the general time before we come in. Yes, that can be shifted because we can be murdered. Our lives can end prematurely at the hand of somebody else. And then we have options to come back and finish that out. So today I'd like to share with you three different perspectives or examples that I've had in my life that maybe lend some thought and insight into we have a little bit of wiggle room once we're down here as to exactly when we're going to actually die. This is with the understanding that our soul has had all the experiences that was our intention. So now we're dying of natural causes, all right, not prematurely by our own hand or someone else's. So does this strike you as odd that maybe we can choose our death date or our death time? Well, think about it this way. How many near-death experiences have there been? And these people have been given the option, oftentimes, of coming back. All right, so let me give you another example. My mom did not have a near-death experience, but she did have cancer. So she had gone through treatment. It had metastasized, and now it's summertime. So all of us kids came home. Some of us traveling and just kind of moving in for the duration while others live close enough to commute. We were sitting there one morning outside, all just chatting, and mom sort of slipped away into her own little world and started sort of talking softly to herself. And what she was talking about was when was a good time to die. Now, this was probably early to mid-July. And it was very interesting to witness this because she was very unaware that anybody was paying attention to her whatsoever. And she was talking about the family time that we would all have together. And then school would start and everybody needed time to be able to go home, get their kids ready for school and start a year out and have a normal, normal time of year. So she was considering all of these aspects and she decided 20th or so of August would probably be a good time. She died August 23rd. Interesting, right? All right, so how about, can you go any farther ahead? Well, my dad also had cancer and had been misdiagnosed and was in a great deal of pain for about a year. So about two weeks before Thanksgiving, he and I were talking, and he said to me, I'm ready to die. I want to die. I'm tired of this. Now, physically, on the outside, he looked better than he had looked in years, which was so amazing to me. He looked so healthy, but inside, he certainly wasn't healthy. And he said, I'm tired of the pain. It just, 
I'm tired of everything. I'm just ready to die, but I don't know how. How do I die? And we had a conversation around that, and we talked about mom. And I said, I do think you have some input, but I I don't think your body or your soul are quite ready yet because you look amazing. Well, that was mid-November. He died August 28th. And then my final example with this is my biological mother. So if you've been listening, you know we weren't very close in this lifetime, emotionally close. So she had Alzheimer's, and I last saw her in 2013 as she was getting more intense and kind of knew who my kids and I were a little bit, but that would come and go. So I had not seen her. She was in an Alzheimer's facility, and about six months prior to her dying, she started to come to see me. Now, here's the thing. I was not tuning into her energy at all. And the times that she was coming was during my daytime hours, not in a dream. And what I've learned since then and through this is that's pretty common. When somebody has dementia and Alzheimer's, they actually do leave their body and come back because they're very, they're leaving their physical bodies and exploring. So the interesting thing to me was it was like, it was like six months. And all of a sudden, these completely random memories would pop up for me. And every single memory was tied to autumn, which was her favorite time of year. And they would be these completely random, abstract memories of maybe one day in my life or one event that was completely uneventful, no reason at all I would ever recall this, except that she brought this to my mind. And after they happened several times, I was like, okay, all right, what is going on here? And then I was in a store one day and she loved peanut M&Ms and Diet Coke. That was her mainstay, always had them going on. And she would have the big bag of peanut M&Ms, like the couple pounds, and just graze on them all the time and drink her Diet Coke. Neither of which I do I care for. I don't eat candy or, and I or seldom eat any sort of candy, and I don't drink Cokes at all. And I was in a store, and I mean, all of a sudden, I had this overwhelming urge. It was so bizarre that I just had to have some peanut M&Ms and a Diet Coke, which I don't even like. And I literally stopped in the store and I'm like, I started laughing. Like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to make me eat these things? <laughs> so we compromised. I said, okay, I'll get, I'll get a small little individual bag of M&Ms, but I can't do the Coke. Sorry. But I found it rather humorous, and it was only a few days probably after that that her brother called me and said, just letting you know, your mom is very, very sick. Now, the amazing part of this is even though she had Alzheimer's, her body was always crazy healthy. She did not have one illness, no weaknesses, no meds. Her heart, her body was fine. And that was a sad thing because her mind was deteriorating so much over the years. So it's kind of a, it's an awful way to go, right? When your mind leads the way. So I wasn't expecting that her body was failing at all. To my knowledge, her body was still very, very healthy. 
So when he told me that all of a sudden she is bedridden and they're thinking like it's the end, a couple days maybe at the very most, I was shocked. So then I started thinking back and putting all these pieces together And I had already sort of talked with her on an energetic level about why are you sending these memories, you know, what's going on, which I got no answers to. But you know what? This was November. It was autumn in Nebraska, her favorite season. Every memory she gave me was autumn. So I was very clear that she had been trying to tell me for about six months that she was going to die in the fall. All three of those situations They planned out, it was actually at least, mom was the shortest, and that was from, you know, what, a month, a little over a month. And then my biological mother was the longest because it was six months. So I think that we can obviously start projecting when our soul's journey has finished here. But why would we want to do that? If you have had, and I will call it the privilege of tending to a loved one, As they're going through the dying process, then you know exactly why. There are so many gifts involved in that. And it's absolutely precious time and precious memories. And everybody involved is still learning and on their own personal journey right up until the end. So they all three started projecting their deaths and kind of planning them several months out. What about when you get closer? You know, it's very, very common, and again, if you've been in this situation, you're probably fully aware that sometimes our loved ones will hold on, waiting for us to give them permission to die. They do this for closure. It's closure for them and for us. So let's go back to my three examples. With my mom, once she had progressed so much, I remember sitting with her on the bed just talking And saying to her, you know, I am trying to think of every question I could ever want to ask you. I was 33, and I had two little ones that were three and four years old. And I said, you know, you're just, she was such an amazing mom. And I told her that. I'm like, you're my role model. And I always counted on having you here as a sounding board as my kids got older. And by the way, I planned on you taking them when they're teenagers because I don't know if I can do teenagers. And so we shared a chuckle over that. But I was very aware that I didn't even know what I didn't know. I didn't know what to ask her. And I just said, I know there's going to be so many times in my life that I will miss you and I'll need your guidance. And I don't know what those will be. So when mom got closer then, she was hanging on. She was unconscious for two weeks and on morphine for two weeks. And each of us then ended up giving her our individual permission to go because she was also very much the the matriarch that held us all together. And then with my dad, I didn't have the blessing to be with him like I was with mom. Daddy was in the hospital, and part of that was his choice. He knew When mom died, it took him, my two sisters, and myself 24-7, around the clock, seven days a week. Oh, my gosh. I've never been so physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted in my life to care for her. And he, he knew what it took, and he did not want me to go through that again, being selfless that he was. 
But I also feel like I got, I missed out on a lot of that, those really precious times. So I had been there to see him and he was doing quite well. We were talking about him going home. The next week I went back and he changed so much. I had to step out of the room and walk back in because I wasn't even sure it was his room. And he had just made that decision and he knew when I was coming. So he was waiting. He was waiting through those days. Unconscious. The nurse had told me he had not been conscious for a while. And when I walked in, I said, hi, daddy. He immediately started vocalizing and trying to open his eyes. So he had been waiting for me. So we have, I think, even right up till the last minute, even though the body starts failing, the spirit is very, very strong and is holding on until it feels it's the right time to release. So the final example with that would be, again, part three, my biological mother. So this was, she lived in Nebraska, and there is just no easy way up there. And being last minute, it was going to be a very pricey trip for my children and I to go up to fly into Omaha, which is the nearest airport, and rent a car and drive a couple hours and then stay in a hotel and and maybe not even make it on time because I was talking to, I talked to the hospice nurse and the nurse at the nursing home, and they said, we're expecting literally within the next 24 hours. I just can't imagine that she could survive till the weekend. And this was probably, I think it was on Tuesday. So they were very, very kind, and they agreed. One of them held the phone up to her ear. So she she had not been speaking, she had not been eating or drinking, and she was completely unconscious and on oxygen. So held the phone up to her ear, and I just said, if you can hear me, would you give some sign of a, some signal that the nurse can tell that you can hear me? Because I didn't tell her I'm going to ask you to do that. I just want to know that you're hearing my words. And so I was able to have closure with her. And I, I told her, I thought about coming up, but everybody's telling me you've already progressed and you're ready to let go. And I think that you should let go. I think you've had a heck of a battle here. So even though I'm very torn and would kind of like to be able to be there, I just don't see how it's going to work. So I had a really good conversation when she was, and then I hung up and called back for my agreement with the nurse. And I asked the nurse if she could tell if my mother heard anything. And she said, you know, that is so weird that you asked me that because when I, when I held the phone up pretty soon after, and she could not hear what I was saying, but she said her breathing did change and she was moving her mouth like she was trying to talk and she, her eyes were fluttering. So obviously and clearly she did hear. All right, so now that was getting down to the final days and the final hours. So what's happening then is, so what's happening to them? And just, I guess, to, to tie that piece up to show how strong the will is, um, I think maybe I wasn't clear enough, and she did end up living until the weekend. And when I called on Saturday, and they told me she was still alive, unbelievably, they said, we truly can't believe, I have no idea how she's still alive, I once again asked them to hold the phone up, which they did, 
and I could hear her oxygen while the phone was up to her face. And so I again asked her to show some sort of a sign if she could hear me. And I heard her breathing change. I heard the oxygen shifting because it was a machine helping her breathe. And I heard that. And so that was on Saturday. Again, I talked to the nurse and she said, yeah, her breathing definitely changed, which I heard. And she said, again, her eyes fluttered and she had been completely unresponsive for almost a week. That was on Saturday. She died Sunday afternoon. One other little thing I just thought of that I thought was very cool. My mom had sort of adopted this college student in, gosh, I think this was in the 70s, and he just became part of our family. Well, after he graduated from college, and now this is uh, 1997, so 20-some years later, he's living in Wisconsin, I believe, and mom, in her cancerous state, energetically went to him and told him that she was dying and he needed to come. Well, mom and dad had moved out from like from one state to another in the meantime. So he had to track them down, but he did. And he came to see her. When he got there, she was completely unresponsive. But he shared that story that he said, I had no option. She told me very clearly to come and I knew what I was coming for. So that was pretty cool. Those are my examples of why I think we do have input as to when we decide to make a transition if our soul has already learned its lessons. So what is happening physically and emotionally or mentally as our bodies start to make the transition? My experience has been as you're you're becoming conscious less often, so both of my parents, it was with cancer, right, and then my mother with um, Alzheimer's, So this is not talking about life support now. We've already talked about that. If you're on life support, but there's no brain activity, if the body is physically being maintained only through life support, I don't believe the soul is there. The soul has already learned its lessons and it's moved on, and it's only the body that's being there. So this is when the body is still alive of its own accord, but maybe the pain level so high that there are there's morphine or other drugs to help manage the pain, and so there's not a level of consciousness that we can see. They seem to be sleeping all the time, right? So what happens is, I think it's first angels come, honestly, that the angels come and start visiting. They're, they are acclimating our loved one into what's happening, kind of sharing the experience with them, giving them a heads up. All right, you had a great life. Now we're helping you transition. You're not just thrown into this. So the angel starts showing up and it is this overwhelming sense of love. Just like when you actually do die and you see the angels and you experience that love, it's the same thing. So if there is any fear or any pain, it it stops at that point. There may be benefit to coming back into body and having a low level of pain. I can't say absolute. I don't think anything's absolute. So then the next thing is that loved ones that are already on the other side start showing up. They start coming in, and I was very aware when my mom was unconscious that her mother and her grandmother and her father showed up, not all together, 
but their energies were there periodically. And I could feel mom leaving her body and sort of like walking around the room. Be And they teach. I just think that's so cool. It's like, it's like her mom came and taught her that she could leave her body, but she was still attached to it. So it's practicing. You practice leaving. And, and at that point, they can see energetically because their soul's not in their body. They can see who's in the room. They can see your responses. They see their body there. They can leave the room and travel. So this is where it's very similar to near-death experiences, right, where they leave the room. They can see other people in the hospital, see other family. Same thing. But they're still tied to the body. So it's just practice, and then they go back into the body. Mom was also, I think that's not uncommon, but mom was also at her funeral, and that was very cool. She was there with an angel, and that was beautiful. They just kind of went sweeping down the aisle of at mom's funeral. So I already shared this in a different podcast. While my dad was dying, I was sitting there holding his hand and talking to him, and he left his body and was standing behind me with his uh, with a hand on my shoulder while I was holding his physical hand as he was lying in the bed. Someday I want to have that commissioned, that a painting of that. So Daddy was walking around too, practicing leaving his body, and I felt his parents' energy there definitely, and possibly his siblings, but I was mostly tuned into just being present with him in that moment. I think it's really important to understand that whether they are actually in their body or walking around out of their body, they can still be listening to what you say. They're very aware of what you're saying and understanding it. And if they're out of their body, they can also see you. So what? Else? that's what's happening physically. And the soul is attached to the body right up until that death process, until they actually die. And then that's where we know what happens, right? When the whole family's there and it's this big party and celebration because they're coming home. So that's another amazing painting to have commissioned because it's a celebration on that side and it's intense grieving and mourning on our side. So what are these lessons that I referred to at the beginning? Because, wow, I just felt like there were so many of them. So as I've been sharing my stories, you may be picked up on some lessons that I haven't even been aware of yet. But let me share with you some of the lessons and perspectives that I did learn along the way. One of the very first ones was, for those of us being left here, grieving is very personal. We all do it in our own style, in our own time. And it's so important just to honor that process for every single person. Some people grieve just with anger. They seem to be angry at everybody and lashing out. One thing that blew me away with my mom is my dad and my brother, for the first time ever, openly walked around crying. Boy, if that didn't take a little time getting used to. But I love that they did that. They learned that the support of the family and the love of all of us was right there to draw upon and that there's no wrong answer. It's okay to be a man and walk around crying. That was huge for us. This was such a time for closure for everybody, and I was very aware of that, like I shared, trying to think of everything I could possibly ask mom. At the same time, it's not just what can I ask her, what would I ever want to tell her that I don't want to forget to tell her? Any statements of appreciation, any questions, any points of clarification, anything that I could possibly 
ever look back at this and go, oh, my God, I wish I would have asked mom. I tried to come up with all of those. And if it seems like it's an uncomfortable topic or it's something you've always wanted to know but were always afraid to bring up, that energy, when you know that that your souls are about to separate until you join again on the other side, there is truly an openness open space that is welcoming, and it's just this beautiful opportunity to clear all of that. So a huge lesson for me was leave no stone unturned and no words left unsaid. And I also, a big lesson, was allow kids that same grace. I was so grateful that my daughters were able to be there through this entire process. They were young. But they were very aware that grandma was dying. We had open conversations and they were welcome to crawl up in bed with her and love on her, whether she was conscious or not. And when she was conscious, she could love right back on them. And that helped them, even though in their little three and four year old selves did not know what words they needed to articulate. They said it all with those hugs and cuddles and I'm so glad. And then same thing with the the questions. They did have a lot of questions for me around why is grandma dying? What does all of this mean? Uh, Some of the equipment. And it was just a really great opportunity so that they could honor their grandmother without being afraid and understanding it's part of the process. And not everybody dies in the same way. Again, no right or wrong. So I was so grateful that my kids were also honored in that process. One of the absolute biggest blessings was the night before mom died, my four-year-old decided, like in a panic, she said, I have to write grandma a letter. I think she knew mom was dying the next day. So it was absolutely precious that she put down in words what she was feeling and saying goodbye and then asking her grandma to come back and see us and fly like the angels. And the chaplain that performed mom's memorial service used that letter as the benediction. What a gift to my family. I think the last piece of lesson that I can share with you is no matter how prepared you think you are to lose your loved one, you are not prepared. Being a Capricorn and being the family pillar and always taking care of business and keeping a calm head I'm a great person to have in a crisis situation because somehow I just deal with a crisis. So I had truly imagined exactly what this would be like when mom died and exactly what I would say and do and how I would handle all of this. And of course, when the time came, that all went out the window. You never know exactly when someone's going to die. You have an idea, you know, but obviously the process is the same but varies for everybody. So that morning, my daughters and I and my daddy were the only ones at the house. Daddy was outside, and I went in to check on mom, who had been fully unconscious for two weeks. And I went in there and was talking to her. She opened her eyes and was 100% completely lucid for the first time in months. Her, she had blue eyes, and they were crystal clear She could not talk, but she was, like, making sounds. She was trying to vocalize to be very clear to let me know what she wanted to talk about. For 45 minutes, I had that absolute gift of seeing my mom's 
beautiful crystal clear eyes and talking with her. And so I had to figure out what she was saying. So I went through family members. Do you want to talk about daddy? Do you want to talk about, I went through all of us. And when I came to somebody she wanted to talk about, she let me know. And I would fill her in on what was going on. And basically it was she wanted to know that those people would have extra support without her, that the rest of us would really rally around and support them. It was beautiful and amazing. Best gift ever. 45 minutes. And then she had completion and she closed her eyes I held, felt her pulse and felt that it was becoming irregular. So I ran out and told daddy to come in and the girls and my daddy and I were there as mom's soul left her body. What a beautiful gift. So now all of that preparation that I thought I had in line, like I knew what I was going to be saying and doing, I just stood there. And I literally, I remember my thought was, um, what do I do now? And Daddy walked out of the bedroom, and I stood there, and I thought, oh, yeah, I need to call. I need to call. Who do I have to call? And I thought, oh, I need to call my siblings. I had even put Mom's Rolodex on her nightstand, so when the time came, there was no looking for it. So I looked over at her nightstand, and it wasn't there. I thought, oh, God, who moved the Rolodex? And I had no idea where it was, and I could do nothing but just stand there. It felt like my reality absolutely shifted, and everything became surreal. So I finally kind of pulled it together, and I walked to the other end of the house and asked Daddy if he knew where the Rolodex was, and he looked at me like I was crazy because clearly he was in an alternate reality as well. And about that time, one of my brothers pulled up who lived in the adjacent town. So I wanted to catch him outside so he didn't go back and see Mom before I could stop him. And I walked out there, and he just stopped in the driveway, and he said, I miss, I'm too late, aren't I? I know, she's already dead. Because this morning when I woke up, she was standing by the side of my bed. And I said, Mom, is that you? And she didn't say anything. She just stood there, and I knew that by the time I got here, it was going to be too late. So when I went back into Mom's bedroom again, guess what? There was the Rolodex on the nightstand exactly where it was supposed to be. I was in such a mental or emotional state, I could not see it. And there was nothing else on that nightstand. It was just by itself. So apparently I just needed that time to collect myself before I could make phone calls and let everybody else know. So now I find myself wondering what you're thinking and feeling. How is everybody listening to this responding? I think this was a combination of clinical and emotional, right? I wanted to share with you my experience of the clinical dying process and the angels coming in and loved ones, and then also the beauty of it, that we this is part of our soul's journey. And I miss my parents desperately, like every day still. And those were beautiful moments and precious memories that I'm forever grateful for. So my hope is in sharing our journey it can maybe open you to possibility and journeys with your loved ones and know that everything is for a reason. And it breaks my heart that there have been people who have lost their loved ones and haven't been able to be with them with COVID. And yet I also know that they could leave their body and they could see you. And I want you to know that they still love you and are very aware that you were loving and supporting them. And it's all beautiful and it's all okay. 
Thank you so much for listening. We love to hear from you. You can get me at Majana at lifeafterliferadio.com. Our website is soulfoodtalks.com. And until next time, namaste.